The following content is sponsored in partnership with Haymarket Media U.S. It's the PR Week Podcast in partnership with Ruderfin. On today's episode, Ruderfin CEO, Kathy Bloomgarden. But I do think that you can take a crisis as an opportunity if you are able to really engage and listen to the diverse voices that are part of the conversation and part of the critique of the crisis itself. Here's your host, Editorial Director of PR Week, Steve, Steve Barrett. Barrett. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this special podcast with PR Week in partnership with Rudafin. Delighted to be here with Kathy Bloomgarden, who's the CEO of Rudafin. Hi, Kathy. How are you doing? Hey, Steve. Great to see you. Yeah, great to be uh, having this discussion. The title of the podcast is How to Break the Outrage Cycle and Create Positive Connections with Consumers in a Fragmented Market. So it's very much on topic and very contemporaneous. And we're going to get into issues around the media cycle and social media, the state of governments, the workplace, polarization in our beliefs, how we communicate them, and how that's all contributing to a fragmented society, which is what everybody is communicating within. How do we create create collaboration and consensus? We need a lot more of that. And what's the role of communications? What kind of leadership works in today's world? So lots of things to get into, Kathy. but the the kickoff point for this is a piece of research you did. Um, just give us the top findings and how they relate to this particular topic, because I think you found some interesting uh, stuff. Yes, well, thanks so much, Steve. And the poll we just finished actually was quite interesting with some unexpected findings. Having just come back from Davos, and just to support everything you just said, cooperation in a fragmented world was the theme, but it's hard to kind of see your way toward exactly how we're going to do that. And what we wanted to do in our poll was to look more deeply and to try to find some hidden insights into possibilities of how we could bring people closer together. Um, and to what degree companies and leaders have to speak out on issues because, you know, sometimes you can't win. Um, you've got both sides really very strongly holding um, well-formed opinions and you're going to alienate one side or the other if you take a stance. And so the first question we wanted to ask was, do consumers feel that brands should re- react to public opinion? I mean, do you have to take a position or do you have to explore um what the voices are telling you about a particular issue. And I'm often having CEOs ask me, you know, I have a big employee base. Some people care about this. Some people care about exactly the opposing view. When do I, as a leader, have to be public and and take, you know, have my voice? And what we found, not surprisingly, is that 93% of consumers believe that brands should react to public opinion. And then we thought, well, what does that actually mean? I mean, does that mean that people have to take a stance? But when we actually looked deeper, we found out that people didn't really care if the brand agreed with them or took a stance or took a side. But what they really cared about is that they wanted to express their own point of view. They wanted to be listened to. They wanted to be heard. And I think that's a very important thing that we've lost a little bit in society today you know, there used to be a lot more listening, but now we kind of like parse through both sides, try to figure out what's 
aligned with the you know the 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 work we do, the mission we have, the values we have, and take one side or the other. But actually, what people really want to have is to be included and to be able to express their point of view. Um, and in fact, once doing that, fifty five percent of people feel that they feel better about the company or the brand. It's not actually a result of agreement. It's a result of the engagement and the interaction um, that really makes a big difference. So we found that interesting. That's a really interesting point, isn't it? It's, it's almost like we've lost the art of civil discourse and having a conversation and maybe agreeing to disagree, but that doesn't mean we have to hate each other, you know? And you see it in politics, don't you? It's like, it's, it's almost like a, a schoolyard. In fact, that's probably a, uh, being unfair to children because it's, it's worse than that at points where the, the, the days where you could get a consensus or maybe come to um, you know an agreement where both sides give, those days seem to have gone, don't they? And so you, you, you're right that people do just want to be listened to and uh, they feel better about being listened to, even if that doesn't necessarily uh, result in a, in a change in behavior. And in that role, business has a, a, a big part to play, doesn't it? Because it, everybody looks at our institutions, our governments, the politicians and others, and they're not seeing that behavior. So what role does business and leadership amongst business leaders have in, in establishing that sort of environment? I think that's a really important question. And it's also important if you think of the leadership style or the leadership model that's appropriate for the, the, you know, the times we're in. And, you know, we came through the pandemic with a little bit of a soft leadership style um, that some guess is starting to disappear with the uncertain economy, layoffs, all the uncertainties of, you know, pressures of declining growth or decreased margins. But what our survey would, would illustrate and would point to is that that listening aspect needs to be kept. Because if you're going to include people and engage them, um, regardless of the situation the company is in, you still need to in- listen to your employee base. You need to make sure they feel heard. You need to have that you know, empathetic element within your leadership model um, in order to make sure that, you know, that everyone feels um, positive and, and, and can be engaged. So I think that that's an important finding that we almost risk to have lost in terms of our, our current read on what's happening in the corporate world. And it's important to understand that engaging in a conversation doesn't mean that you necessarily have to make a big statement on an issue and have an and take a view and right go on one side or the other you can still engage business and brands can still engage without necessarily having to make that big statement How, what 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 was your take on that and what did the research add anything to that that is so precisely right and i think that's a real finding just qualitatively deriving from the from the survey data i think that is one of the most important takeaways that we have which is that you know you don't have to force yourself into a box where you've well defined a position on a polarizing issue, um, but you really just have to make sure that all sides have, have actually participated in the discussion and the debate. And it is, isn't it, well, as you were saying, not only part of our traditional diplomacy that we used to use, whether it's in domestic or foreign policy, but it's kind of the definition of democracy, which is to bring all voices into a debate about issues. And we, we certainly, um, looking at some of our political debates on the Hill, it does appear as if we're losing a little bit of the abilities to do that or even the inclination to want to do that. So I think that this is also an important finding. 
Yeah, it's almost getting like the British Houses of Parliament, which is uh, <laughs> very entertaining, but not necessarily very productive. So, yeah. Exactly. What other things were you seeing in uh, Davos, Kathy? Because obviously that's a unique gathering of business leaders, political leaders, NGOs, all sorts of folks, um, and communicators are all there en masse as well. What were they, where do you think they're at on this whole? Um, idea of business engaging and, and being well, I think more I go to the next part of your yeah I would go to the next part of your question, Steve, which is actually this question about the the corporate role in society, and um, what's really important we would derive also from our survey is the importance of cultural intelligence, because if you're going to actually part- globally participate as multinationals and Davos obviously do, you know it's not as if it's one size fits all. You know this whole pr- listening. Um, you know, let's say talent or this listening tool um, requires being extremely tied to the community that you're interacting in, and it differs from one to the next. So even more pressure on the ability to be a true listener, to be able to um, engage people, to make them express their opinion. Um, and you do need a cultural intelligence in order to be able to, to do that as well. So I think that came across at Davos. And if you extend it further into you know crises and how you would manage a crisis, when do you react? When do you not react? I mean, just to be sure that all voices are in the room, um, it's not a question of, again, of necessarily wading into the crisis debate with a definition of your stance, but it is more allowing the discourse of vo- and the sound of all voices um, to be part of the conversation. Um, it's really a bit of a new way of managing a crisis than we've had in the past. And do you think it's positivity or negativity that drives consumers to engage with brands? And how does that impact how they show up? Because if you're only going to show up when there's a crisis or when there's negativity, people are saying, oh, well, that's the only time they talk, you know, but if you're engaging along all, you know, in good times and bad, maybe they're going to perceive you differently. Well, that's very also very interesting and very surprising um, takeaway from our survey. We found that um, when people engage with a brand um, and if they're negative, they feel so much better about the brand and they go out and buy it again. <laughs> so it's really not the, um, the, again, the positive or negative sentiment that drives you to the engagement is actually the fact of the engagement that generates the positivity. So encouraging people by saying, please share your thoughts. Or if you had a bad experience, please let us know what your experience is. Um, and there is a really funny um, story you may have seen about an olive oil startup where it was the holiday period and they had delivered their olive oil um, in some packages that were damaged to a certain fragment of, the, of their customer base. And the CEO got so upset. Of course, he's a startup CEO, probably a very emotional guy. <laughs> and he wrote a note, you know, his own hand, obviously no one spell checked it for him, filled with typos and all kinds of, you know, uh, awkward sentences, sent it out to his entire customer base and said, I'm so sorry, you know, this happened. This is so awful. I apologize to you. And and just the communication of it, it was so authentic um, that everybody hugely universally responded positively to this wonderful small startup olive oil company. Yeah, no, I saw that one. That was interesting. I think the key word there is authenticity, isn't it? I mean, yes. obviously, as an editor, I didn't like the spelling mistakes, but you know, it did come. It did come over as emotionally authentic, and and that's yeah. a good. 
lesson for communicators, isn't it? What, what, what other things should communicators be aware of in helping their leaders and in helping their brands respond in these situations? Well, you know, your point about, um, you know, us as editors not like, liking misspelling is, is a good one. But if we think of generative AI and the opportunity for us to be um, replaced um, by chat boxes that are going to actually write copy, I think that emotional, passional element is not necessarily going to be in the first generation of these chat boxes. So I think our focus on, you know, emotional storytelling that's human and authentic and transparent, you know, does have to be at the centerpiece of all communication that we do. And this trend we had toward the over-polished, over-scripted, over-corporate, you know, language um, doesn't, you know, really elicit the kind of engagement and the kind of connection or the feeling that you're being listened to. Um, It's more of a one-way communication out rather than an engagement. And I think that's, that is an important lesson. Yeah, that chat GPT is an interesting one, isn't it? I got it to write my blog for me last week. Some people said it was better than anything I've ever written, but others were very kind and said it didn't have the right voice. And we, uh, our reporter, Ewan Larkin, got it to write a Shakespearean uh, sonnet <laughs> about the threats to PR. So uh, it was interesting. And that was another big discussion topic in Davos, wasn't it? It, it absolutely was. And uh, I was taken by two thought leaders on coming from very different worlds. One was Sachin Nadella, um, who had a small group breakfast that we had, um, said that he actually felt that um, generative AI was an enabling and powerful um, technology that was going to bring the kind of white collar tools to the frontline workers. Um, And I thought that was a really interesting insight, which no one has yet talked about um, or not talked about enough, I should say. And I do think that it then allows, you know, you to advance on top of that. So I think that replacement, loss of jobs, that has been part of the discussion for quite some time. But what this means in terms of further empowering our progress and really opening up opportunities for people who may not have them at the lower ends of the ladder, I think that's a very interesting thing for us all to explore. And similarly, Larry Summers, in his economic discussion at the at the close of, um, of the World Economic Forum, said, despite all his grouchiness, they called him the grouchy economist, um, which he thought was very amusing and, and endearing. Um, but uh, he, did comment that, <laughs> he, did, he did comment that um, if he really felt enthous- uh, optimistic. He felt optimistic, not necessarily because of the economy and recession, not recession, where are we headed, but really because we were standing at a point where technology was going to really accelerate our opportunities and our progress. And he could feel this tremendous opportunity in front of us. So I think that that is a, a bit of a takeaway that's been less discussed from the Davos conversations, um, but I, which I thought was very powerful. Yeah. How would people coming in terms of the theme of this talk about the outrage cycle and creating positive connections and getting more of consensus-based discussions, how do you think the the leaders w- walked away from that or flew away in their private jets probably but anyway if we were, <laughs> um how do you think they came away from the have they got solutions to this are they going to be more in, are they prepared to engage a bit more do you think what's the mood what that's going to dictate sort of 2023 i do think the mood was to be a better 
listener to all various elements of communities and not necessarily feel pushed into taking one stance or the other. Um, and there is, um, we work with Sanofi, with the CEO of Sanofi, and um, they launched something at Davos, which I thought was very impressive. You know, coming out of the pandemic, we all saw that, dis- you know, groups that are underserved minorities, you know, did not have access to the kind of health care or, you know, m- were really faced with more misinformation about vaccination, COVID, et cetera. And what Sanofi just launched uh, along with Harvard, Harvard School of Public Health, is actually an initiative called A Million Conversations where they are going to go and have conversations um, with uh, individual you know, communities, whether it's uh, minority communities, whether it's people with disabilities, you know, really listening again with that cultural intelligence bent um, to what are the problems, because they're not the same for you know, each one of these groups have a very unique set of problems. So to your point, I think acting and taking actions on this need to be a better listener, to have more of an ear to the ground on what really matters and what's dry, what we can do to drive action, I think was very much part of the uh, WEF conversation. Yeah, sounds like a great piece of work. Were there any other lessons from your research or from Davos generally about what kind of leaders are most impactful today? Well, I would go back to just, you know, summarizing this this point we made about not getting thrown off by the economic pressures of our day, um, that that's, there is still a need for this element of authenticity and, uh, and of empathy in, in leadership. Um, and if you do want to keep your Gen Zers, if you do want to make sure that you're retaining your talent, uh, even though the great resignation is returning to the great recommitment, as people are saying at Davos, (laughs) Um, you know, I I think great recommitment, right. I think, uh, you know, there's, there's that, the the questioning about what is appropriate leadership model for our times. And I think that that um, is, is definitely one takeaway. The other takeaway about uh, crises, uh, which you and I have discussed in the past, Steve, is when do you speak up and when do you, when do you take a position or not? Um, you know, there is this uh, element of conversation decay, which we've talked to each other about, which is that, you know, conversations and crises peak and then they, they tend to trend down. But I do think that you can take a crisis as an opportunity if you are able to really engage and listen to the diverse voices that are part of the conversation and part of the critique of the crisis itself. But this, finally, this this polarization that we define our, as our world today may be less polarized than we actually think, because there are quite a lot of um, attention paid to the loud voices on either side, you know, those extreme groups who really do drive polarization. But there's a messy middle. <laughs> and the messy middle, um, you know, really just wants to be heard and really wants to be part of every conversation, regardless of who they're person sitting across from them actually thinks they, they want people to listen to them. So I was greatly encouraged by that messy middle block. And I think we even saw it in some of the some of the um, political uh, votes that we saw um, across the country in the US. Um, so I think that we have to, as communication people, we're the ones who build the bridges. I must say, I was also very encouraged that communication has become so much more important. Every single CEO realizes they need their communication person sitting right next to them and that 
culture, being a good communicator is such an essential part of the CEO job today. Um, so I think for our field, it's a, it's really an important moment where we can make a, a really important contribution. And of course, you can't, you know, if you listen, you have to communicate. So um, I think that our, our field is is changing and evolving in a very important way. That is great to hear. And, you know, it's something we've been tracking at least for the last three years, you know, at PR Week, and we've seen it. And it, it's not before time. We all know that. But but it is really good to see. And hopefully that will persist after, you know, we finally get ahead of that pandemic. And you're real right about the midterms, you know, female reproductive rights seem to be a middle ground issue that actually united people and did um, people did you know they had their vote and they used it so it's a, it's a good point but there is a lot of talk of cancel culture isn't yes. there these mm-hmm. days and it is a real thing so what are the steps that um, brands and corporations need to be aware of and their communications teams because and the agencies that help them because you're the folks on the front line yep. how can you sort of overcome it or 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 navigate it is probably a better word, isn't it? Yeah, so let's just think again about what cancel culture really means. And so cancel culture means snuffing out the voice <laughs> of the brand, the person, the thing that is being canceled. Um, and I, I do think that that whole concept, it is part of the outrage cycle in some way. You know, so I think that these, you know, again, that these symbols of anger that have erupted particularly during the um, pandemic time or become more acute during the pandemic time, I think we have to really parse through them carefully because I think it doesn't necessarily, sometimes it doesn't represent the bulk of the population that we ordinarily are engaging with. So we can't be, you know, quick to react um, and we have to think carefully about making sure that we have listened to everyone before we would be too proactive in that kind of situation. Yeah, and it all comes back to those words of authenticity and telling the truth, doesn't it, really? Yes. That um, people appreciate that, even if it's something they don't want to hear. If that's authentic and you're telling the truth from your point of view, um, that hopefully more of that can break this cycle and get us to a more constructive future and, and it's good to hear that people came out of Davos thinking that and that communications can really help leaders build that so Kathy thanks so much for joining us and sharing those insights both from your survey and from Davos and we'll put a link in the uh, description below for people who want to find out more but thanks so much for doing this podcast really enjoyed the conversation well thank you so much Steve and glad that you and I are um, discussing this at a time when communication is actually becoming further empowered thank you for all you do yeah it's uh, PR week's 25th anniversary in the US so it's not before time but yeah thank you very much 